Mr. Robot Season 4, Episode 2, Payment Required, is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. That's Antonio Mazzaro. But who's the other one? <laughs> well, I, I swear to you, Josh, it wasn't me. What? Me. If it's not me and it's not you, Josh, what? it must be... Whoever's listening to Has us. Has there been a third podcaster with us this entire time and they were just silent on their end of the microphone the whole way through? Is it Mike Bloom, Mr. X? Is that who it is? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, we haven't said the name Cora Donna often enough on the, the return of the Mr. Robot podcast. Is, is, it, is it Fidelio? Ah. <laughs> uh, Esmail, yeah, uh, have you infiltrated the post-show recap servers? Are you listening in right now? Who is the other one? There's been a honeypot the whole time, uh, uh, and you guys are all just stuck in it. God. Now. This is, uh, yeah, a normal episode, a contemplative episode, a sad episode, and then that? And then a game changer. And then and a, then a game changer. full effing game changer here. So uh, we'll talk about... All of that in copious detail throughout this podcast. First of all, thank you so much to everybody who has welcomed us so warmly returning to your podcast feeds with the most Mr. Robot podcast here on Post Show Recaps. If you are not subscribed already, strongly suggest that you do. Find the Mr. Robot feed on your podcast app of choice. If you listen to us on Apple, you can get our short link as postshowrecaps.com slash mrrobot iTunes. We've got some feedback that we'll get into by the end of this episode. Uh, you can send that our way either on Twitter. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's, one R, and no robots. And make sure that you are tagging at Post Show Recaps as well. Hashtag PS Recaps is helpful as well. Or you can send us an email at mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com. Clearly, this podcast is going to contain spoilers for Season 4, Episode 2. And nothing is going to be as spoilerific as the way this whole season began, obviously. And by the time you're listening to this, I'm just giving you the very lightest of spoiler warnings still on that one because it's so fresh and traumatic. But that warning is over. Angela's dead. Angela's been shot. She's dead. Uh, and <laughs> Why do you got to go back there? And, and, and Because that was like so guttural and awful and painful and terrible and required a lot of processing uh, on an emotional level. Um, and not that there isn't emotional um, processing required here in payment required, uh, not the least of which is because Elliot and Darlene, who have long been without their father uh, and have more or less been without their mother for the last several years, it would seem, uh, but now are literally without her as Magda Alderson uh, her death hangs heavy over this episode. Ellie and Darlene lose their mother. Um, there's a lot to process there, but then there's a lot to process from like the, the, on the level in which like your brain gets liquefied and starts dripping out of your orifices. Uh, that is what is Ew. happening by the end of 402 as it is revealed or strongly implied or indicated that it's not just Elliot Alderson. It's not just Mr. Robot. There's, Another one! Who is the other one? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm too busy wiping my orifices with dripping brains. Uh, yeah, who knows? Hanging brain. I don't know. Ultimately, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. Ultimately, the, the the crazy part of this, right, is that when we had our season three theme of integration, what we really tracked was the ways in which in which Mr. Robot and Elliot were coming together, uh, and the great scenes where Mr. Robot and Elliot just seamlessly transform one to the other. We saw great examples of that last episode there's some of that in this episode at the beginning as elliot and robot talk to philip price and so i think what we watch back when we watch season one two and three with the idea that elliot and robot can kind of come and go is every time we saw elliot being not elliot making eye contact with somebody maybe being a little more aggressive we chalk that up to the new belief that there's always some of mr robot and elliot and there's always some of elliot in mr robot so all those old scenes were like that didn't seem like Elliot that would do that. We just assumed that ah, that's the robot coming out. That's Mr. Robot and Elliot. Now, I mean, are we going to go back and say when Elliot did X or Y, that was the other guy? Or is the other guy somebody who just because in this case, we hear about him blowing off Fernando Vera and not being interested is the other guy, somebody who just doesn't do anything. Uh, There's a lot to talk about, Josh. And I think as we're talking about it, it probably will change the way we we view the whole series uh, going forward and going backward. So leave it to Mr. Robot to pull the rug out from under us like this. Okay, so I wrote about. About this over at the Hollywood Reporter, where I'm covering Mr. Robot, and I have a very brief interview with Sam Esmail on this subject. And when I say very brief, I mean very, very brief, deliberately so on Sam Esmail's end, uh, where literally the first question I asked him is, The other one, Sam, what does that mean? Uh, his response to that is, wow, we're just jumping in <laughs> as well as I'm obviously not going to answer that question. Uh, but here, here are the answers that he did give me with the caveat from him that he said that he, he would be giving me very short answers. Um, I asked him, how long have you been playing with the idea that there's more to the picture, picture than just Elliot and Mr. Robot? He says, from the beginning, uh, I say, this is baked into the premise. He says, yes. And then there is a long pause (laughs) after which he says, sorry, I'm giving you short answers. And I said, that's the level of secrecy you have to you have to use with this. He says, oh, yeah, uh, with emphasis. Uh, I say this is the big final end game card. He says, absolutely. This is the beginning of that big final reveal of the whole series. Damn. Honestly, it's one where I haven't quite. You know, I go on the subreddit, I read theories, I listen to podcasts. What up, Sam? This is one that hasn't been predicted yet, is what he says. I say, that's exciting for you, right? He says, it's exciting, but it's nerve-wracking. I'm curious if it does get out there or if people do hit on it. And I do think that once this episode airs, the theorizing machine is going to kick in. I think it's one of those things where if we did our job right, it's a balancing of it feeling inevitable, but also unexpected and surprising. That's what we're going for. We don't want it to be too much of a shock where it's just a gotcha and a gimmick type of twist moment. We want it to feel earned because the answer should make sense. You guys could technically figure it out because it's been in the show the whole time. We are excited to see it play out um i asked him then when the shoe drops we're going to be able to go back through the whole series and see it and he says yes absolutely yeah and i say i ask him do you expect that it's going to add a lot to replay value and he says yes yes at which point i say i have to do a 10th rewatch (laughs) to which he says yeah 
To which I say, don't you know we're in the middle of peak TV? To which point he says, just watch it. Just watch the show. Uh, that's the end of the interview. <laughs> just watch it. Just watch it. Just watch it. Um, okay, so the, take- well, watch. The, the takeaways there are Sam Esmail, who follows the robot theorizing machine, has not seen this guest at very often. Has not seen people getting too close to the truth on whatever the other one means. This is one that hasn't quite been predicted yet. Yet it's also baked into the premise from the very beginning, which means this is part of that original feature film formation of Mr. Robot. This is something that is central to the core of the, of the message, of the story, uh, of the Adana, uh, that Mr. Uh, Robot is all about. Um, so that's a lot to, to process. It's gonna, it's gonna add a lot to replay value, Antonio. You and I have just completed, uh, for me, I think my third or fourth rewatch of Mr. Robot at this point. I don't know how many for you, a lot, uh, and we're going to have to do that again, like John Locke with the orientation video. We're going to have to play that again uh, once this is all said and done. Do we want to start theorizing now? Would you rather go through the episode first? Is this just such a major headline that we should be talking about it so much right off the top? It's hard not to, right? Because it, it does end that way, but it, sh- it certainly will influence the way we view not only this episode, but every episode as you're talking about. I think I've rewatched it 99 times. I'm going to strive to keep it uh, 100 uh, and get that done. So Get that top, uh, uh, that top 1%. Uh, yeah, the top 1% of the 1%. Yeah, I got to strive to keep it 100. Oh, yeah. But Otherwise, the, uh, uh, death becomes you. <laughs> Death Becomes Me, or Lester Moore, the previous CEO of E-Corp. Yes. Uh, I didn't know his name was Lester. Do you think he's someone's Uncle Mo? Hey, hey, hey. Uh, no, that's a different show. The, uh, it's, I, we have to kind of get at what you're just saying because I don't want to lose sight of it. So I just want to put a flag in or, or note that if Sam Esmail is saying this is something that he hasn't really seen theorized, I think that kills the idea that the third personality is in some way Tyrell. Yeah, absolutely. Because yes. we've talked about Tyrellian a ton. Other people have talked about that a ton. It's a very popular fan theory that Tyrell and Elliot are in some way the same person. I don't think the text is even there. In the course of the show, there's way too much Tyrell only or way too many instances where they're both in scenes that I think they're both recognized as characters in those scenes. Yeah, you and I have been doing like some offline bantering about this before we got on the air. Both of us basically just some version, like more detailed versions of holy shit WTF. Yes. Your uh, text tone is exactly the same as the tone you just used when you were reading your interview with Sam Esmail. But the, but the, but the gist of, the voice I heard. But the gist of what we were talking about when we, when you and I were talking about Tyrell and Elliot as like, is this, is this, you know, putting us on that path is that something that we should really be sensing more is exactly what you just said they've both been uniquely identified as individuals way too many times for that to make any level of sense for me and even if you want to get into the weeds and be obnoxious and obtuse and try to parse those out and say like no it's not there like actually if you read the scene that way I, don't do that because Sam Esmail is saying this is a theory that he has not really seen in the fandom that's a popular fandom theory so it just is ruled out in my opinion by that uh, that doesn't it, somebody's going to come forward when this is all revealed and say look I said it and I'm sure somebody probably has 100% look 
we've podcasted for hundreds of hours on this show, probably at this point, maybe not hundreds, but over a hundred, I would think for sure, uh, when it's all said and done. And does, is it possible that we said a passing remark that ends up being something in the show? Um, of course it is. When I went through and listened uh, to our old podcast as I was rewatching, I had a lot of fun pulling old clips where someone like Mike Bloom, for example, mentioned in passing in the middle of season three that he thought that DDP would become an agent of the Dark Army. And he did not present that by saying, like, oh, I think what's going to happen is Santiago is going to get killed and Irving's going to use this leverage of DDP's family, blah, blah, blah. He just basically posited that it was something he could see happening with her character. And that was a great little line by Mike Bloom. I thought it was hilarious in, in hindsight that he pulled that right out of the ether. Uh, there were a couple other moments like that, Josh, where we talked about the Mr. Robot Christmas episode and what it would be like to see Mr. Robot Christmas. And here we're getting a whole season of it. So is it possible someone has said what this ends up being? Absolutely. But I don't don't think a popular fan theory like Tyrelli is going to end up being it because I think it's ruled out by what Sam Esmail said to you. Similarly, though, um, we have speculated on this show in our context of our discussing Tyrelli and other theories that there may be a third persona for Elliot. I don't think that's the bombshell, right? The bombshell is how is it manifested in the show? Who is it? Is it someone we've seen? Uh, what scenes would we have seen it in, if any? Is it the kind of personality where we haven't seen any scenes because they're hostile or they're lazy or something else. Uh, how would that manifest in the show? Does it help us fill in blanks? Like, for example, something we've talked about the f- few days after the initial five, nine hack, we don't know what happened to Elliot. And as far as Mr. Robot has told Elliot, he kept telling Elliot, we killed Tyrell. So does Mr. Robot not know either? And that's why we didn't have that blank filled in. Is that when the other guy came into the stage? Are we going to yet again, see that arcade scene uh, as we speculated about maybe at the beginning of this season, are we going to see the arcade again from the other guy's lens josh you have also i think a really interesting read on what the other guy might be uh and it would be something that's been baked into the premise of the show from the jump and that's us yeah us. uh i i wonder if we are the other one i what i mean the the very first line of mr robot is hello friend and it's elliot talking to us and we are the imaginary friend that elliot has created in order to find somebody to confide in. Um, and, you know, that blankets the later reveal in season one that Elliot and Mr. Robot are the same person. You know, barely blankets it, but it blankets it. Like, it, it helps protect that reveal um, so that it comes as a, as, as a little bit more of a thunderous surprise um, when it's revealed by Edward Alderson's graveside that the, that the person that Elliot is seeing is a manifestation of his dead father, not actually his dead father, uh, come back to life. Um, so if it's something that's, like, baked in from the very beginning... Uh, and we could go back and we can look. Um, we've been here all along. We've been part of the show. And there have been moments throughout the show where we've been invited to participate. There have been moments throughout the show where we've been locked out. Uh, times where we have not been allowed to see anything. Uh, and we have not been, you know, think about season two, half of season two, Elliot's in prison and it's in a completely different coat of paint because Elliot is rejecting our view of that. Um, right. think about later in season two when Elliot is thinking about what does Mr. Robot need in the apartment right now? Is there something here that I'm not seeing? Can you see it? Like, you know, yeah. like the Dr. Can Hibbert of it all. Yeah. It? Well, I don't know. I guess that's my job. Like, are we Chief Wiggum? Uh, you know, like, is, 
uh, are, oh, come on, boys. You know, are we actively being asked to participate in the show um, from a from a level that's drawing us into the narrative, where it's not just this fun ancillary ARG kind of thing, but we are actually essential to the core themes and messages of Mister Robot. There's a few. Um, there's a few. A few things that that make me um, that from this episode, in fact, that that help me feel that that might be where we're moving towards. Um, one of which is, and it'll be you know as soon as we're done, like really just like you know blowing our minds out over the the other one reveal uh, is how the episode begins. And the episode begins as uh, uh, you know a blank TV screen, and then the color rainbow on the TV screen, and then Philip Price narrating uh, the the history of White Rose and uh, introducing the Deus Group, the Deus Group, which we haven't even talked about yet. That's a fairly important thing. Uh, we're finally naming the top one percent of the top one percent. Um, you know, and, and getting that full history from Price's perspective um, as bordered by a television set. Like you can literally see that, that this Im- that these series of images, this montage of history playing out to Price's narration of White Rose's rise to power is uh, being conveyed to us through a television um, and is that just stylistically? Like, is that just like a stylistic flourish? And I'm not talking about like you yourself, you human being listening to me talking right now are watching Mr. Robot through some kind of a monitor, some kind of TV screen or computer screen or whatever. Literally in the shot, if you go back and look, it is bordered as though you are looking through like a 1980s TV set. Um, is that because that's a clue here that like we're more involved in this thing than we understand? We're more central to this story than we know. So that's one then the other piece is later on in the episode uh, when this reveal comes and Darlene says, yeah, I thought that I knew you were doing something shady. I thought it had something to do with Vera. Fernando Vera gets name dropped and we haven't even talked about that yet. Uh, so Fernando Vera gets name dropped and Darlene says, I just figured you were doing something with that. Uh, and, uh, she says something to the effect of, you may have the line, Antonio, but she says something to the effect of like, yeah, I kind of told you and you sort of just like blew me off like it wasn't a big deal. Um, well, if it's, if, if we're talking about literally how the information of Fernando Vera's return to the universe of Mr. Robot was conveyed, it was conveyed in a post credit scene at the end of season three. Darlene sees him. Darlene encounters him. Elliot does not. But we, as the audience, do. We get to see that. And what were we talking about when that was the stinger of season three? Kind of like, well, I guess he probably has to be fairly important because they've, you know, spent the season three cliffhanger on Fernando Vera. But there's so much else going on in the world of Mr. Robot. So how does like a low life street level drug dealing bad guy become an essential part of the end game of Mr. Robot? It's a little hard to see that. We kind of shrugged it off. We kind of blew it off. Uh, so if Darlene told, you know, if, if Darlene told Elliot, uh, and Elliot doesn't really care, but maybe if, if Darlene's like conveying that across to, to us as the viewer, if there's something to match up there, um, I think that that would fall in line with, uh, with this theory that we are an essential piece of it. You know, the, the line that Tyrell says early on, in this show of uh, I was I was too busy looking at what was in front of us that I didn't think about what was above us. God, uh, right. you know, that that God eye that looks down on everything and sees the fuller picture gets to see so much. Is that us? 
Are we are we more involved in this story and for a show that has shattered the fourth wall in so many different ways routinely uh, and is consistently finding new ways to break barriers? Uh, this is one of the reasons why this show is so groundbreaking for a show that is so uh, deeply about the idea of connection and disconnection uh, and disintegration and then reintegration and full integration. Uh, are some of the ideas that are being played with here in the final season of Mr. Robot, the idea of what it means to truly connect again. And when we have to disconnect from Mr. Robot, is that a choice that Elliot has to make to disconnect himself from Mr. Robot himself, to disconnect himself from the Mr. Robot community, the fandom, us, the people who he created to come along with him along the way? Um, could we be the people who need to take that seat at that table that it seems young Elliot is sitting in that chair is not for you magda says to him is that our chair will we get to a point later on in the series where we are watching a scene unfold from that very fixed perspective these are things i'm wondering it's my top theory on the board right now and i've talked a lot and i need to take a sip of coffee i like it i mean we're look we were we the third person in the room last week uh, with no exit with three characters uh who were trapped in hell uh where are we always trapped with robot and elliot robot talking to us and saying putting us in the same category as himself saying well elliot hasn't been talking to me much either so of course he hasn't been talking to us much either uh, and the idea that that if if you go by what you were saying talking about fernando vera and talking about how we witnessed it and we we were talking about something else or maybe he'll come back into the story. The point being that if you're talking about this other guy is sort of laissez faire, maybe if the personality of Mr. Robot is chaos and wanting to push forward and the personality of Elliot is different than that, then, are, then the, is the third personality sort of distant. Uh, we are a character in the show that Elliot has created in his head yet. We are also alive. So there is that weird line there, right? That you have to blur uh, to try to figure out. But you also, if, if you, if you don't, take your theory there are scenes in the show um, where it is not a hundred percent clear right like if elliot was involved or mr robot was involved one of those is when elliot jumps out the window and wasn't pushed in his washington township home we assume that that character who blew up the room who destroyed everything uh and then who jumped out the window was some form of mr robot we know for example that mr robot at least existed in the immediate aftermath of the death of Edward Alderson, that that Elliot goes into the movie theater at, immediately after that uh, and starts talking to this guy. So, did he exist before that? Was he the one who pushed Elliot out the window? Uh, these other episodes that Elliot or that Darlene talks about during this, were they always Mr. Robot when Elliot was younger? Or was there a third personality even when Elliot was younger? And that's an open question. What role does Magda play in all this is another question. Does she play a more active role, which I'm sure people will speculate about? Is she a trigger? Is she something that where all along she has been involved? Uh, or is she something more opaque or, or something that you can like see through like she's a specter and she is the role that she has played on this show which is as a character she's not very present but as a memory of El for elliot as we see in the previously on here or as we have seen throughout she's vivid and she's something there what lends credence to that uh as being part of this is in this last scene where we we see magda talking to what we believe is young elliot we believe that's the same actor we saw at the end of episode one uh what we see in the background of this scene is the freedom tower right uh, the freedom right. tower was not completed to that stage until right around in the timeline of when Elliot and by the way this is the room where Elliot met Tyrell in yes. season one yeah so that's gonna that's gonna cause people to be like Bleh! 
They're yes. Elliot. It seems like time. It seems like time bending is happening here, but there's just no way that this is a flashback. There's no way this is a flashback because as a flashback, young Elliot would not have been in that room with the Freedom Tower created. He was he he's born in like 1986, uh, so it just wouldn't match up. He would be way too old uh, to be that age with the Freedom Tower created in the background uh, as we see it, and no, you know, no World Trade Center. Uh, so this is probably headcanon at that point. This is probably something that in Elliot's head, not something we're meant to think happened in the past. Of course, the possibility exists that this is some sort of different timeline. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. Uh, if you want to engage with that, that's fine. I, I know the bait is there, but I think the fact that it's this room that Elliot has experienced and the fact that the Freedom Tower is there in the background and the fact that Magda is coming out uh, with brown hair, not the gray hair that she would have had around that time period. I just, this has to be something that's in Elliot's head, this final scene and we're observing it which i think lends a little more credence to the fact that we might be the other guy uh because how are we observing this headcanon scene of elliot's uh if not because we are able to see what's in elliot's head because we are part of that story yeah i i I think that there's just a lot thematically that would make a lot of sense to me for that to be the case um you know uh you 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 went in your rewatch back and you you combed over those scenes right of of elliot being in like the the recovery group and sort of like the, the religious rants that he's been on and everything. And if you were, if you're to look at like the, the Holy Trinity of Elliot through the lens of the father, the son and the Holy spirit, right? Are we not the Holy spirit? You know, are we, are we not somebody who's going to be drawn deeper into the story? You know, is Mr. Robot not a show about how you can affect the world and how you can change the world and how one person can can radically transform and change everything? Is this not a show that has been about empowerment uh, and galvanizing people in that way when it's been at its best, right? Uh, and, you know, folks like Angela Moss being like, I can make a difference. I can change the world. Has that not, has that not been central to the series from the very beginning? And would it not be perfect for like this loner, uh, for, for this man who, who had to, and who had to, whether due to just pure mental illness or due to the, his, his, his ways of wanting to cope with isolation and loneliness and rather than actually um, you know, efforting to meet people rather just creating people uh, that would be easier to communicate with, easier to talk to. Hell, I could freaking relate to that. That sounds good to me sometimes, some days of the week. Um, would it not be a really powerful message if in the end we are we are left with a, a message of of empowerment, but not by not only like actively being drawn into the story to have some sort of level of emotional impact um, with Elliot's end game? but leaving Mr. Robot feeling empowered and feeling like we can affect change in the world. Um, so for me right now, like there's a, there's a couple of things that, that push me away from it, or really one thing in specific that pushes me away from the theory, which is when Magda comes to, to young Elliot at the end. Uh, and I agree. I think that the sight of the freedom tower in the background of, um, of, you know, the boy like spinning around in the chair over and over round and round we go, uh, you know, spinning around in the chair, uh, that suggests to me we're, we're in Elliot's head in this moment. Um, you know, the, even like the, the sounds that the, that the chair is making as it's wheel spinning, it's like the cuckoo clock, uh, is, is very fascinating to me. Um, but Magda says, uh, that's not your chair. It's for him. We're waiting for him. 
so she says him very specifically, uh, which would uh, which would alienate a significant portion. <laughs> of- yeah, pronouns are a hot topic right now, as they should be. And I'm sure Sam Mesmail is cognizant and sensitive to that. So it does seem like this is a gendered person, at least in this representation. Yes. But I, the, the, you're definitely on to something in terms of our role in the story of Mr. Robot. There's no doubt about it that you can draw the through line here. It just thinking about it, not not only in that scene where Magda says, uh, we need to wait for him, the other one, she also, at the beginning of that, says they are not ready yet. And then I'm wondering if the they in question there, speaking of pronouns, is us. We as viewers are not ready to see who goes in these other chairs uh, and we have to get the other one out before we can see where that goes. So I, I don't know how that all comes together, um, but I do wonder if it's possible pronoun-wise if we are the they who isn't ready to see what happens in that scene going forward uh, and if the he is the the other one is in fact someone else i don't think and although this is possible i don't think what lends more credence to it being something like us is i don't think that there has been let's say the same extra in the background of like seven to ten key scenes in mr robot and when we go back and watch again we'll be like oh my god that's the guy with the glasses and you know the the tope hat like that's the guy uh that's the third guy like that's the other one like i don't think we're going to be able to rewatch and i could be wrong i'd be happy to be wrong about this i don't think that's the case i don't think the same person has been present in all of these scenes in fact one of the only extras i can think of uh, or not extras but people that has popped up in multiple seasons of this show in the back persons is sam Esmail himself right so maybe if you're, you're going along these right. lines of like the creator and the audience are the, the active participant in the show like maybe sam Esmail is part of that i know that it that's could be his been. It could be his chair. Like it could yes. be. It could be like if they need to literalize it. Could it could be Sam Esmail sits in that chair, and that is that is us. Like that is who we get to see this world through. Um, right. That could that could work uh, for sure. And that could and that could satisfy the him. Well, and that you can get into the weeds on this because I, I've seen some speculation on Reddit this week after last week's episode as to the why. Why would Philip Price have Elliot die only to bring him back? And we talked about that a little bit on our podcast. Uh, I think I'd seen some speculation that, hey, Elliot didn't die. Those guys, they weren't real. Like they were manifestations. What Elliot did is he went to the honeypot, didn't find anything, went home and OD'd. Uh, Philip Price was keeping tabs on him and came in and revived him. Like that's what I think people have been speculating about. I think Philip Price makes pretty clear in this episode that was not the case. I don't think that that means that some form of Sam Esmail is not uh, present, which I have also seen theorized on Reddit that Sam Esmail may be some manifestation of Elliot's personality, that he is not that. And so he could be is standing in for us in that way. So there is that possibility. I mean, I, I don't want to spoil it because anyone who hasn't seen it should go watch 2001. The end of 2001 is this sort of like crazy mind-blowing thing uh, that makes you just think about like your role in the universe like your role in stories like your role in anything uh, and I'm, I'm wondering about how that would square I, since Kubrick is such a strong connection and influence on everything that goes on in this show um, if the end of 2001 is not maybe something that we'll see uh, some connection to and when you talk about like a, a secret room uh, where the creator of the director of the movie is present or the director of the show is present and steps in I'm like oh is that the end of 2001 like is that where we're going 
with this. So, um, not that, uh, I just, if people have seen it, will I think understand generally what I'm talking about. So there is the possibility we're going to get some crazy scene like that, that where we see those chairs filled in. Uh, and the fourth one is going to be Sam Esmail. Who knows? Uh, but I, I, I do think that we, there is definitely context for us being a part of that story, as you're saying. I also wonder, Josh, just generally speaking, I think that we should unpack this a little bit as part of this. So in season one, when Elliot can't remember Mr. Robot uh, and can't remember that he is Mr. Robot and he can't remember that Darlene is his sister. And now Elliot is clear, clear headed. He can remember all those things. Uh, are, is that just the same Elliot? Is that, or, or are those two, two different versions of Elliot? There's a version of Elliot, for example, who can't remember uh, how active his role in all this, these things are and who his family is. And the other version of Elliot can actually remember all these things. And is an active participant. Is it as open as that? Or is that, is that too on the nose i think i think that the elliot uh uh, it's a a lot (laughs) there's so much to think about now um i i think i think that he was the did the show not establish that it was because like he wasn't taking his medicine like that he wasn't taking his medication that he is not remembering um that he's not remembering what his father looks like. That he's not remembering Darlene anymore. But but if if you're if you're framing it through uh, this potentially cockamamie idea that I'm positing, that it's us. That we're Elliot. That we're part of the, that we're part of F society. Uh, yeah, because that we're, we didn't know. We had to learn these things. Yes. Think about when uh, when we see Angela and uh, Darlene in the ballet together, right? Doing the ballet lessons. By the end of that episode, uh, Elliot has realized that Darlene is his sister. It's not like we find that out four or five episodes before, uh, and then we find out, that, you know, at the end of episode eight that Darlene is his sister. We, it's in the same episode, so there is kind of an awakening that's happening uh, as we learn more information there but i mean some of that is obviously story construction right like we didn't we wouldn't want to find that out earlier in the season because then it wouldn't be as big of a twist it probably has to happen in the context of one episode so that it hits us like a ton of bricks when it does happen i i would find it very rewarding i i I would find it in the hands of the show that the that the show has been for its entirety for for you and i at least and i know that this has been a show that has lost people along the way uh the deeper inside of itself it has gone um i think that you and i have been have been pretty thrilled by this show all the way through our copious amount of podcasting uh standing as as a monument to how much we have loved engaging with this show. I would find it very moving um, for there to be this final idea of, um, you know, you've, you've built a world to, to cope with, right? Like you've built a world to, to find meaning and connection. You've built a community to, to, to help yourself feel like you're alive and the show has to end. Right. Uh, the, every, as Philip Price says to White Rose in this episode, everything has an end point. Um, and we know that Mr. Robot's end point is swiftly coming up by the end of this season. Um, and we are not going to be able to, to see Elliot anymore. We're not going to be able to do anything other than go back. And well, we're not ready for that yet. We're not re- We're not ready for that yet. And that's why we don't have a seat at that table quite yet. Um, and I, I think that if, the, if the ultimate idea, if you listen, there are very nihilistic ways of looking at where Mr. Robot could go in the end. But I, 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 I read that there is such love and affection for not just Elliot Alderson, but who Elliot Alderson represents and the types of people who feel marginalized and the types of people who feel sick uh, and the types of people who feel 
very lonely and constantly um, under oppressive assault by like the the minutia of the daily grind. Uh, that there's so much love and affection for those people as created by this show that I have a hard time imagining this show ending in a, on a pessimistic point. Uh, I think that the final notes of Mr. Robot will be more uplifting than many of the shows that we that we have often talked about. Um, I, I think at the very least, if if you're saying bittersweet, I find I I feel very strongly that we will end uh, with more sweetness in our mouths than the bitter. Um, and I I think that the that the bitter aspect of that would be having to say goodbye, friend, for real. Um, but the sweetness, realizing that uh, you know we we weren't just friend in quotes, we were friend for real, and now we are in. Integrated into this character's life, and we can imagine him moving on uh, and 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 taking whatever value and lessons that he created by creating that community for himself, by creating that friend for himself, that he is able to go on and live a better life, and that we are better for having been participants in that. And what can we now go out and create? Um, I just feel like there's a lot of hope baked into that idea, and I think to like send us this initial shockwave of like, holy shit, there's another, uh, is, is very intense right now. And I think very deliberately so presented in the thriller style, uh, not with the zombies and the dancing, but in the sense that it is exhilarating and it's intense and it's tense. Um, but I think for it to ultimately have a landing point of, uh, no, this wasn't possible without you. Uh, feels very, very uplifting to me, and I'm and I'm I'm hopeful that that's the direction that we're going in. But I'm also wide open to being fully freaking wrong, uh, and trusting that Sam Esmail and the people that he's collaborated on this show with have a much better idea in mind. Um, that's just my leading theory right now, to the point that like I have not been able to really process another theory that makes a ton of sense to me yet. Well, and the thing is, we will, uh, even though Sam Esmail told you this is a thing that's been baked into the show from the start, obviously by introducing it in this way at the end of the second episode of the final season, I would guess in the episodes to come, we're going to get more, uh, more breadcrumb trails. We're going to get more hints about what this might be. So it's something we can more actively track throughout. And of course, if you are ha- happen to be rewatching now after you've heard this revelation and you have theories of old scenes, where you think a third person might be present and it's not connected uh, to what Josh and I have been talking about here, please do send us your feedback. Um, Josh has already talked about the ways you can do that. Um, we'll talk about it at the end of the episode, but we'd love to hear your theories if you're, if you're, cause we're not going to go back probably and do a full rewatch uh, of this moment to moment. Uh, but if there are se- scenes that you think maybe don't reflect Elliot or robot, uh, as I said earlier, one of the tough things about this now is that every time in the past we had lensed Elliot differently, uh, from earlier seasons, we just chalked it up to the, oh, that's robot. That's robot. There was a time, Josh, in season one, uh, where Elliot just at, at, uh, at Steel Mountain really takes down Bill, where you're like, I think that was Elliot. I yeah. don't think that was Mr. Robot. Right. Uh, maybe that's, there's stuff like that where you can point to and say, I think that was the other guy. Um, but so far, we don't know too many of those, or we haven't really planted a flag in too many of those scenes. There are some interesting things hanging out there that I wonder about in the light, in light of this. One of them is from the pilot 
itself, Josh, not at the beginning where he says hello friends to us, but in the subway scene where Mr. Robot tells Elliot the story of what Mr. Robot's father was like uh, and calls him a petty thief and talks about all these things. Knowing now that we know that Mr. Robot uh, is part of Elliot, was this just a lie that Mr. Robot was telling Elliot? Um, is is this father, uh, that, that a father character here, something else? Uh, I don't know. There are moments like that in the course of the series where there's just a question mark, I think, attached to it, where we could assign some meaning and say, oh yeah, that's Mr. Robot lying to Elliot to try to keep this secret at bay so that Elliot won't remember and so that Elliot thinks that he's different so that this does not come crashing down on Mr. Robot and he disappears again. You can chalk it up to that. Or there could be something more to it. Uh, There are scenes like that throughout, is what I'm saying. And I don't know uh, if any of those look differently now that we have the idea that there may be another guy in play that isn't us, but that is something else. Uh, As I said, I'm fascinated by the idea that the other guy, Darlene told the other guy about Vera and then nothing happened. At least that we see so far. Uh, I think it lends credence to the idea that it's us because we couldn't do anything about it. We found out Vera was there, but how are we supposed to tell Elliot? Uh, and part of the reason maybe we haven't seen this other guy a lot is how does the other guy talk back? We, we Maybe we have been seeing him the whole time uh, and we can't talk back. So he's been there the whole time. It's us, but we have not been able to talk back. So that's a possibility. But the other possibility if, it is, if it's not us, is that who, what is this other guy like? Is he working with Vera? Right. Uh, is that something that's been happening that we don't know about? So this will be an interesting thing to track as we go forward and watch more episodes in this season uh, as we find out little tidbits like, oh yeah, you know, you talk to me. Like, is this the kind of guy that works with Vera? Is it the kind of guy that doesn't care about these sorts of things? Um, I'm covering some of the same ground that I talked about earlier, but those are the sorts of things I'm looking at and if you're re-watching, I'd be looking for as well uh, because we don't, we ultimately don't know and yeah that religious imagery was so strong father son holy ghost it's definitely there uh for there to be a trinity Uh, i think the scenes with krista will be interesting to watch going back um because were we seeing elliot were we seeing mr robot there was some clarity in some of those scenes where we actually got to see christian slater talking to krista but was it always elliot in that room was there something else happening i think those scenes will be interesting to watch uh there's just a lot hanging out there now uh and and we'll talk about some other things in this episode which speak to maybe considering that there may be some greater theory in play, not just the fact that it it might be us, which I think is a great theory. Um, But there are some other hints here that I think we should track because so much of this episode involves Magda and she is present throughout. uh, And then she is the character that we see at the end. I think we need to maybe highlight some things as we go through. So I think might be a good time now to get into the rest of the episode. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, we, there's like, you know, the more science fiction-y possibilities that that we're not really talking about yet. So we got, to consider some of those stuff. Uh, I, I just uh, also want to take this opportunity to say, Antonio Mazzaro, I love you so much. I'm so happy that we're doing this podcast again. Oh my god, it's it's just it's just <laughs> so you, it's just so much fun to like you know to just like gnash on this material though, man. It's so <laughs> great. This is my favorite freaking thing to do. So hopefully people aren't like, oh my god, I can't believe they just spent 42 minutes talking about one like two minute scene at the end of the episode you but. would do this at minute 42 by the way yeah Very convenient number there <laughs> exactly it really you is down the hatch i did i can't go we have back to do it, we, we have to do that again we by have the to way. we have to go back all right let's yeah. get to the beginning 
of this episode. Also, I will point out that uh, uh, Elliot clearly hasn't been talking to us, and so now it's on Mr. Robot to start talking to us, and this is a new process for him. So if he got the information somehow, and like he wouldn't know how to convey that to us, and it would cause all sorts of confusion. Anyway, whatever. All right, let's get back to the start of the episode. And as I say, we're pushing in on a TV when the episode begins with the anonymous content and the universal pictures and all of that stuff. And then we start to see this big montage of what's going on with White Rose. We are watching that from the perspective of there's a TV on screen. Um, We don't need to keep going into that any further than we already have. But Antonio, what do you take away from Philip Price's rendition of the greatest hits of White Rose's rise to power, the formation of the Deus group, which I feel is aptly named considering we are now literally like introducing the idea of a named group being the most powerful people on the planet. And it is something of a Deus Ex Machina potentially. And uh, Philip Price calls it no less than a new world order, which has been, of course, a conspiracy theory or that's definitely a hot button term uh, in the world about the sorts of uh, like just pan governmental or just supra governmental, like above government level, the the world being controlled by people that we the very people that we see in this montage, the Murdochs, uh, the Cheneys, the Koch brothers, uh, even Al Gore, poor Al Gore makes an appearance here. Uh, But seriously, we see we see, I think, a great like de-aged bd wong uh, we see bd wong interacting with castro putin the queen the ayatollah uh, standing next to obama so he has been a key player throughout it is linked to the fall of the berlin wall in 1989 i am curious time wise if there is another reason that white rose started this project then um uh, maybe that's something we get into as the season goes probably on. i don't white know. rose is young you know right right exactly <laughs> just because of age I, what I don't know is why do you decide at some point that you want to build a machine uh, to do whatever it is White Rose is trying to do? What is the trigger? And I don't think it's just, oh, the Berlin Wall fell. So then I decided I want to build a machine right. uh, to hack our very reality. Um, there has to be some personal motivation other than just the Berlin Wall falling. That's what Price tracks it to. Um, we know in 1989, Philip Price was not the CEO of E-Corp. Uh, so Philip Price was probably had a more of an underling role in the initial genesis of the Deus Group. Um, the previous CEO was killed in 1995, and he uh, killed by White Rose, as we know. On, uh, for- may, may his memory be a blessing that is pissed upon by White Rose. Indeed, uh, Lester Moore, no less, uh, no more. Uh, and we know that that same time frame was when Edward Alderson and Mrs. Moss died. So we know White Rose's project, as it were, uh, was in full speed, uh, even just a few years into the creation of the Deus Group. And we know that the Deus Group being formed in 1989 allowed them to make a lot, a lot of money on the first Gulf War. Uh, we know from the real world that this sort of thing happened. The very people that they show in some of these images with the, the Dick Cheney's and the Halliburton's of the the world uh, profited significantly from war and continue to do so and continue to profit when there uh, when countries are destroyed and then rebuilt uh, or when resources are cornered as a result of these actions. So this is a very real thing that's happening. It's just putting one person from our show at the center of it. Uh, and then Philip Price uh, is, is, is connected as well. Um, the music is from the Watchmen soundtrack by uh, Josh, by Philip Glass. Uh, any significance to that for you? Maybe just like uh, if you're not feeling Mr. Robot one week from now, there will be another show on TV. Oh, no. <laughs> that you at could the same watch. time. Yeah, at yeah. the same exact Oof. time. No, it's, uh, but I think very, very cool music. Uh, the An hour earlier, I believe, uh, to, to be fair. 
the idea that we are, are tuned in in such a way and we are willfully stepping up and giving our information over and being, uh, active participants in our own demise in this way by by our laissez-faire attitude toward what we're providing online and what we're connecting to. Uh, I don't think that that's a very hot take uh, by Mr. Robot. I think all of this fits within the context of the themes and the way the show has presented its own view of reality. Uh, we seem to get one of these sequences per season uh, or thereabouts. Uh, we certainly saw in season two when Elliot ranted about the world that could be as a result of his actions. We saw a lot of the darkness of the world uh and in season one when elliot's ranting about heroes and why doesn't he like society or whatever and why do they um, keep bringing siler back it just got increasingly <laughs> improbable along the way like just kill yes. nathan petrelli and do do away with him forever at a certain point but whatever elliot's going to acquire nixon versa i believe in this season at some point very uh, empathetic NBC staying guy. loyal right yeah. uh but we see also the washington township plant here uh and we see the giant pit that is apparently already ready in the drc uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo there in Africa, ready for White Rose's project. Uh, Philip Price says E-Corp, by the way, fully a front for the Deus Group, and the Deus Group only exists to fund White Rose's project. So this is a massive, massive project, as if we didn't already know basically what the implication from Philip Price here at the beginning is. All these world events that have changed the scope of the entire history of the world, the only reason they exist is to fund White Rose's project. So, listen, White Rose is trying to hack time into trying to hack reality uh, by creating this machine. And But in doing so, in doing the things that she needs to fund the machine, she is, in fact, hacking reality. She is, in fact, changing reality. She is, in fact, bending reality in the universe to her whims. So whether the machine works or not, she's already doing a lot of what it seems like she's trying to do just by virtue of being so influential and so powerful and trying to build this machine that her project is the only point of deus is... I think very significant at this point, like this whole thing exists only for that reason. So I'd say so far she's being pretty successful. Price presents a picture, Josh, that basically says we can't do anything about this. But then I think we get this great scene where robot and Elliot are tag teaming price uh, in saying like, you can do something about it. And they're both saying things. I don't think that each is taking a point of view. I think they're both speaking from the same kind of foothold. Uh, I think it would be hard for me to, um, overstate how much I love this scene uh, and and how satisfying it is to finally have Michael Christopher and Rami Malek and Christian Slater, who he had already shared a scene with, but uh, Rami Malek especially and Michael Christopher sharing screen time in this way. We've waited to see Elliot and Philip Price truly in the same room for a very long time now. You don't really count that penultimate appearance in season three because Rami is not part of the equation there. Um, it is It is so satisfying to finally see them together, but it is especially satisfying to see them together now at this moment in time in their lives post Angela uh, to see Philip Price as somebody who now fully realizes yeah I'm not one of the most important human beings on the planet not necessarily anyway and there's certainly people above him on the ladder I think is what he has figured out or if he is the third most powerful person on the planet then holy hell one and two are leaps and leaps ahead of him like highly elite tier versus the very good tier for Philip Price uh (laughs) you know uh, he's he's, a, he's not S tier. He's A tier. Maybe he's S tier. You know, and and the way that uh, that Christopher plays him of just like world weary and just like defeated. Uh, even the way that like he puts his trench coat on and says like I'm sorry, Mister Alderson, I can't do anything to help you, even if I wanted to. Like you can tell that this is a man at the end of the rope. 
uh, that this is somebody who who knows much like Elliot that the clock is ticking that that clock that White Rose loves so much time is ticking away uh, and the opportunity to do anything is is rapidly falling away except at least as it stands in this moment for Price um, there is a, a a lack of energy maybe might be it um, of of being willing to try and do anything whether it's cowardice or it's just inertia uh, you know take your pick I, I tend to lean towards at this point a bit of inertia uh, a bit of him being hollowed out by the death of his daughter the fact that he is such a powerful person he couldn't even have prevented that um, that he got you know walked into the corner of having to watch his daughter die essentially um, and how does that live with him right like how does that sit with him moving forward and to get to see him here squaring off against Elliot who yeah of course he researched Bryce months have right. passed of course he had time once he found out that Angel was dead whatever grieving process and it appears that there hasn't been a big one um, whatever mourning process and whatever moving on process has been occurring if it's occurred at all certainly involved like digging deeper into Angela than ever before digging deeper into all the people who may have been responsible uh, for Angela's death Price would ping on that radar and Elliot's not an idiot he'd figure out that Price was Angela's father if he, if he started looking in a more open way and he's had nothing but time over these past two months to to be thinking about that kind of stuff. So it's great that he already knows. It, it allows us to shortcut through any kind of like, I was her father. It's like, no, yeah, you were her dad and you're doing nothing. Um, and I, and I, I love this again, just sort of like in terms of the thematics of where we're going. There are so many shitty, awful, rotten, powerful people like Philip Price who are allowing the world to be disgusting and terrible and nightmarish and horrible by virtue of doing nothing. Because they're too afraid to do anything. Uh, because to do something would be to risk their mortal form. And basically what Elliot says here is like, if you don't do anything, you may as well be dead. So why are you so afraid to actually die? Um, was very powerful to me. It was really powerful for me to, to see that. And to see that conveyed by Philip Price and the show doing that same sort of succession magic trick of making you feel empathy for somebody you shouldn't feel empathy for. And it just, I, I really do, I co-sign all that. And I, I, I really do love how it was so seamless between Elliot and Robot, both making the same points, uh, both making emotional appeals. Uh, uh, Robot talks about loyalty, like you can use your loyalty. Uh, Elliot talks about your daughter uh, and everything that happened. Philip Price talks to both Elliot and Robot when he's walking out and says, the minute I worked with White Rose, I became a dead man walking. And then uh, Price just basically looks at Robot, not at Elliot, and says just like you so i just love the interconnectedness of all of that uh, also speaking of interconnectedness we just want to make clear it, it when you talk about elliot doing his homework uh and knowing who philip price was with regard to angela uh we saw last episode the reference to the fact that they watched a angela get abducted into a van uh, on security footage um you could draw the line where they probably found the source of that van and they followed it on other security footage and they maybe found where the van went and they linked that to Philip Price and they started looking to Philip Price more and you could draw those lines together how that happens but similarly um, you could draw the lines clear where Elliot and 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 Price both know uh, that White Rose is Zhang and Zhang is White Rose that is not something where I'm not sure if it's been over and I think it's been overtly clear with regard to Philip Price but we've not seen the eureka moments on the show of that of people linking those things together we've talked about it a 
it a little bit on this podcast, but it is abundantly clear from this conversation, at least, that throughout this research, and it was clear last week, I believe, when Elliot was seeing Zhang's name, and he told Freddie Lomax, you know her as White Rose, uh, or you know her as Minister Zhang, but it's actually White Rose. Like, this is, Elliot knows everything at this point. Like, there are no secrets about White Rose being Zhang or Zhang being White Rose, and there are no secrets with, with Price either. Um, they're interchangeable terms at this point, as far as the show is concerned. Um, but it's also how great is it to see like the possibilities of actual team up between these parties, right? Like, I mean, by the end of the episode, Price is going to put the moves into place to to get the Deus group in a room together. Uh, he's figured out a way. He's like, all right, well, the way to do that would be the drastic measure. The way to do that would be I quit. Uh, F you, F you, F you. You're cool. I quit. Uh, I'm out. Uh, and in so doing. This is going to require White Rose to to summon the people. So it sounds like it would be a great New Year's soiree, uh, which is now putting like a little bit of something to look forward to in what we know of the structure of the season, right? That we're kind of like in this five day spread. Uh, so so where where are we going? How is this going to assemble fast? Um, and this is you know the same guy who walked out of the room, as you say, saying I'm a dead man walking. Uh, there's really no point. Somewhere between that walking away and him reappearing on our screens, he's figured out a way to to help out Elliot. Maybe uh, to to quote uh, a certain fallen Avenger, uh, wipe some of that red off the ledger. Definitely. And but there's red all around because it's Christmas and the ledger itself uh, is getting wiped because Mrs. Alderson died uh and it just it it, this is what uh, darlene has been trying to call about this entire scene with philip price and elliot elliot finally answers the call mom is gone Uh, and then they go right to the home where we have been before when elliot visited his mom in season two before we get out of jail before we go to the home was there was there anything on the board that was new that that caught your eye or is that all the same same deal from same stuff i didn't really see anything new i mean there there's a lot of there there uh as we talked about last episode and i think some of it has to do with the ARG. Some of it is just pure Easter eggs. I didn't see anything new on the board that made me, uh, that gave me any more information about things within the context of the show uh, that we should talk about. Uh, people are really loving the Jurassic Park Easter eggs that were present throughout uh, episode one uh, with InGen and with other references. And uh, with BD Wong. <laughs> Yes, of course, B.D. Wong being the connective (laughs) tissue. Uh, You know, one of the investments of the Deus Group was, in fact, uh, the Jurassic (laughs) Park uh, itself. Bingo! Dino DNA! (laughs) It's a great connection. Please, please, can the season finale of Mr. Robot, the final episode, just be them strapping in and watching the John Hammond video with Mr. DNA would be so incredible. I want uh, Jeff Goldblum to show up on the yes, show, so yes. I'm, I'm full. I'm, I'm full on embracing uh, the connective tissue, the connective DNA, if yeah. you will, All right, well, uh, between well, Jurassic Park and Mister. Let's Rudd. go to Magnus. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just didn't want to let that pass by in case there was anything new to talk about. No, it's a good shout. Uh, yeah, at Magda's, uh, the lady who is telling them their mom died. Uh, I, I don't know. I wanted to talk to you about this because she basically said how nice and kind uh, their mother was, and what a great you know shoulder to cry on she was, and how wonderful she was. It plays for comedy here. Uh, because Elliot and Darlene, of course, have no version of that woman in their minds. Do you think that this is a uh, just don't speak ill of the dead kind of thing where the lady is searching for a nice thing to say about their mother? Or do you make something else about the potential duality of the the beautiful, nice woman uh, that this woman sees? And then the Magda that we've seen on the show, which is everything but that we contain multitudes. 
you know, I think is a big piece of uh, a reality, but B for the sake of this conversation, Mr. Robot. And I think that you say duality. And I think that uh, what we're coming to potentially find out with this reveal of the other one uh, is that we're not just binary. We're not just one thing or the other thing, but we're vast. Um, and I, I think that you could you could apply that to so many of the different characters on this show, who are they in their front-facing moments? Who are they when they're, you know, they're when they're looking out towards the public, and who are they when they're in private? Look at Darlene, who's so tough and cold when she uh, speaks out over the balcony at the uh, deceased Susan Jacobs' apartment. Susan Jacobs, was that on your bingo card of names you would hear about in the final season of Mr. Robot? Not for me. Um, and then just think about what was happening a couple of minutes earlier. We're talking about, I believe, the season two premiere um, is, you know, she Darlene is like crying and rocking back and forth. And she's just like, she's like not feeling the pressure very easily. She's doing a bad job with it and is so vulnerable and such a raw nerve in a quiet private moment and then she steps out over the balcony and delivers like this huge um you know very terse cold speech George of w bush you know call call to action type of deal um and uh, i think that's just one of very many examples that you can think of um think about you know think about how that applies to someone like magda somebody who uh this is their mother uh, you could be the best parent on the planet and your kids are going to have something bad to say about you somewhere along the way or like they're going to observe in which capacity you screwed them up. My mother is the nicest human being that I know and I have got things to say that are not befitting a podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and, and so I feel... I can say things about her too. Uh, hey, relax! Come on! Uh, <laughs> but I think I think in like the context here, uh, you know, we see it from Elliot's perspective uh, of all of the different ways that she was either physically or even verbally, uh, whether she was verbally or even physically abusive towards him um, as a child, uh, you know, going back as early as like the Steel Mountain infiltration in season one uh, and, and like having the images of her just like yanking him around the hallway and, and being terrible and the constant smoking and emotional, um, uh, you know, passiveness that she exhibits towards her children that was very present in the 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 sitcom sequence in season two and how she keeps knocking out Darlene and so if you know we're we're judging the 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 arc of the show by perspectives other than Elliot think about it from Darlene's perspective she has nothing nice to say about this woman that's that's I think the key for me is that if the reason I brought it up is we are want to speculate as we did even on our preseason podcast here Elliot's memories are questionable, right? We know for a fact that he presents in his own mind, even first, he doesn't remember that his dad is his dad. Uh, second, he remembers a Mr. Robot version of his dad that does not really jibe with the Alderson, the, you know, Mr. Alderson that we see, uh, throughout the context of a lot of these flashbacks who couldn't be kinder or sweeter, uh, to Elliot. But we also remember that Elliot says like, my dad was the only one I could talk to. And I had all these good memories of him, but Elliot's home life memories of his mother have have always been horrible. He talked about wanting to die in a train accident rather than go back home to experience her uh, and be with her uh, when he has to manifest a, a cruel prison guard who is keeping him on the straight and narrow uh, and being very diligent about that. He puts his mother in that role. After he gets out of his fake prison or real prison in that way, he goes right to her and says, hey, thank you. You played a huge role in that. Uh, and she won't even speak to him. Now, I think we took that 
that is. Like she can't speak. Uh, she had some medical problem. This woman talking about how nice she is and that that she could speak, I think maybe speaks to a different uh, level of that. So. Elliot's memories are always a little bit questionable. That's the only reason I wonder about that. And the only reason I think it's worth spending time talking about it is not only the end of this uh, season where we see a different version of Magda. She's not being mean to uh, the young child there at the end. She's not burning him with a cigarette or physically abusing him. Uh, What we also find out is she was keeping a safe deposit box. Right. We see that in this scene. Uh, it's, it could be a red herring. It could be a MacGuffin. It could be one of these things that, you know, we, we think the story could be key and center around that it's really not. Uh, or there could be something more to it. Uh, and it could involve another personality of Elliot if it's not us. Uh, it could involve something else in the story. Uh, it's worth tracking that with Magda. Uh, also in this scene, when Elliot, uh, and Darlene are there, the clock is stopped in her, uh, in her bedroom. Yeah. I you, you had pointed this out to me that this is, this is carryover from season two, right? Yes, conveniently. That, that's a great thing from continuity. For example, you want if you're going to have a clock in a scene, it's probably better that it's stopped so you can't track, oh, this was on this minute, this was on that minute. It's a nightmare to try to reset it after every take uh, and just get it right uh, in the background. You don't want like a, a clock like this with, with markable hands. But when Elliot goes and visits his mom in season two, the clock is stopped at this time, 11.15, uh, and the second hand is on 37 seconds. And he remarks like, oh, uh, hey, you know, your clock broken. I'm going to have to get them to fix it. When we go back to the room, it's still at 1115. The second hand is different though. So I don't know if that's, I doubt it's a continuity error. I think it's probably there to screw with us about a time slip or what's going on with time. Uh, But I have to note, it's at the exact same hour and uh, minute, but the second is different in the flashback. Uh, It's 10 seconds or 15 seconds ahead. So whether that's on purpose or accident, it's definitely there in the context of the show. All right. Well, let's talk about the safety deposit box uh because that's the that's the big that's the big reveal here and that galvanizes uh the two of them to want to go and investigate really darlene and ellie just kind of like being dragged along when he's like i got other shit to do uh but they're they're gonna go on you know on their little misadventure to to figure it out they're eventually going to come to find that the box is missing uh that it that it's it's policy uh that it's policy to throw the thing away after missing payments after what was it like 90 days is there like a is do I have the timing on that right something like that Some, yeah something like that but the box is thrown away uh two things off the top of my mind is like we should probably spend a lot of time talking about the fact that Magda has a safe deposit box. And perhaps that was very important, considering that her husband worked for the Washington Township power plant that is fueling. Uh, that is the site that is White Rose's project. So whatever information may have been in there could potentially be of fundamental importance. Uh, and then the other piece of that is how much time should we really talk about it since the, the deposit box is totally missing and everybody right. knows that if you delete something and you throw it away, it's permanent. It's, permanent. it's gone yeah. forever. There's just absolutely no way to recover something. Like Elliot threw the Mr. Robot jacket away and then it showed back up at his doorstep. Or when uh, he thought that he couldn't reverse 5-9, but oops, surprise, yeah. uh, potentially that could be undone. There, There's uh, there's a lot to talk about there. Like who, who could have potentially recovered who could have potentially recovered the deposit box? Could Dark Army have gotten it? Could somebody else have gotten their hands on it? Whatever it is, this is Chekhov's deposit box, right? Like, is this just to provide, like, um, some bonding between Elliot and Darlene, like, to get the two of them feeling, like, more emotionally connected so that they're where they are by the end of the episode? 
Or is there critical information that Magda was hanging on to that we are to know at some point down the line? Well, the creation slip uh, that Darlene finds, like the slip that shows that it existed, uh, it has an invoice due date of May 18th, 92, uh, which would which would certainly dated after the beginning of the commencement of the Washington Township project. But prior to everything going sideways, we do know from White Rose at the beginning of season three that Mr. Alderson, that Edward Alderson played a key role in some of their early breakthroughs on White Rose's project. Is this somehow related to that as you're speculating a good question. Uh, was it truly trashed or was it picked up? A good question. If it's trashed and something was taken out of the thing and it was thrown away, um, that's different than I think if someone else picked it up or if she picked it up and it's somewhere out there. The other thing I wonder about is if it's possible, possibly tied to that Walkman. And this is my own personal theory here, uh, but we see a Walkman uh, that is also found uh, in Magda's bedroom or Magda's room. Uh, we, we play the tape, of course. It's a very sentimental moment between Angela and and Elliot. And the tape is a Mother's Day tape uh, that was recorded seemingly by Elliot, uh, Darlene, and Angela for Angela's mother. Uh, it says, Happy Mother's Day. It was not for Magda. The question that Elliot asks or Darlene asks is, how did she have it? Why did she have it? Uh, and when Darlene says, you know, cassettes are fully back and puts the Walkman in her bag, we see a close-up of that happening, and we see Elliot suspiciously eyeing the fact that it's happening. I'm going to cap this off by pointing out that the recording of Happy Mother's Day on this cassette was on side B. So I wonder what is on side A. Mm. And I do wonder if the Walkman or something connected to that was what was in the deposit box. I don't know uh, if that is true uh, or or if we're ever going to find out what the A side of that single was, uh, if the B side was Happy Mother's Day. Uh, but it's flip the tape over. I do want to know what's on side A of that. I do want to know if it's something that Elliot has reason to be more suspicious of. I do want to know if we're going to find that out at some point. Um, that definitely stood out to me when we watch this scene is we only heard one side of that tape and it was the B side and Elliot was very suspicious when Darlene put it in her bag and there were questions as to why Magda had it at all so you put all those three things together I think there's at least a possibility that there's going to be some information with regard to the Walkman as well as it is on the surface plays like as you said very sentimental moment a moment that brings Elliot and Darlene closer together it's a moment sad to hear from Angela again knowing what we know now it's a moment that they use to process a lot of the stuff with Angela. Darlene comes to grips with the fact that Angela uh, is deceased and Elliot comes to grips with the fact that it's okay to let some of that emotion in and talk to Darlene on that level. They have that great fight on the way to the bank uh, where there is speaking of third parties uh, interested or outside observers, uh, there's a snowman sitting there on the bench uh, that just says condolences to them uh, as uh, as they have their huge fight about Elliot uh, disappearing yeah. instead of emotionally engaging. So it's a great moment when they listen to this cassette because it's a culmination of that conversation. And it's a, it's a good moment that brings them together. They build from it at the end of this episode when Darlene is willing to full-on join the team against Price and Elliot is wet, ready to welcome her into the fold, even if trepidatiously. Uh, he can't help but welcome her in and she says she, he needs her and she's right about that. Uh, they get there in part because they're able to come together and listen to this Walkman. I just think there could be something more there. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about with like the Susan Jacob? of it all uh i just i was so surprised to see her in the previously on i was so surprised to see her name evoked in the final season um i guess 
I guess I just never really thought of it of something that was going to be advanced any further. And that seems like that was an oversight on, on my end. Uh, of course, it's going to be advanced further. If only that like Elliot and Darlene need to talk about the fact that she killed somebody. It's a good reminder that she's capable of that. Uh, and it's a good reminder that she isn't just a malware hacker, as she's described in season one, uh, that, that these people, the Aldersons, because of what they've experienced when they were children and knowing what Susan Jacobs' role in that were, they are capable of these kind of actions if they have to be. Uh, it's not something we see Mr. Robot pulling a gun on Romero. Uh, we know that there, that he, uh, he is at least more willing to do these sorts of things, tries to shoot Tyrell, right? So he's more willing to do these sorts of things than, than maybe we've seen Darlene be, even though she did it uh, to Madam Executioner. But I think it just serves as a good reminder that they're capable of these things. As far as story goes, obviously we can't get anything out of Susan Jacobs. We leave the episode with Elliot saying, give me everything you have on her. Clearly, Elliot's going to use that as a conduit to try to find out more information. Uh, where that takes us going forward, I have no idea. I don't remember Susan Jacobs having any associates. I mean, does it take us back to Scott Knowles in some Way. Oh, please. I, yes. Get that <laughs> ro- red wine mouth flowing, please. Yes. That would be great. Uh, that would be great. I mean, he's one of the only other E-Corp chiefs that we know about. Uh, we had a lot of information from her email in season two, but it was mostly pertaining to her own medical conditions, which Darlene supposedly, quote unquote, didn't see, but obviously did. Uh, so I don't know where it brings us into with her realm. Uh, she was very rich. So what she did with her money, I, I don't know. I don't know if she was married or uh, if she had any uh, children or anything like that uh, that we're going to bring into the story. Uh, but clearly, we're not done with Susan Jacobs in some way, shape, or form. With Elliot leaving the episode basically saying, give me everything you've got on her. Something with Susan Jacobs is going to be mined out uh, for more information, ideally uh, bringing us closer to the Deus group. I don't know how we're going to bring that into the story, but it, it does seem like something we're going to do. Uh, so it just remains to be seen what that's going to look like. But I assume I, it's a it's a pool party. Uh, in her sweet underground New York City pool. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, they, I heard the floaters. They're really nice. Uh, they have nice flotation devices, uh, provided they haven't been taken to the animal shelter yet. Uh, yeah, speaking of animal shelters and dead animals, how about the taxidermy that's going on in this episode? Yeah, I think we should talk about that. I think we should talk about, uh, about Janice's operation uh, that she's got going on uh, and the, the dom of it all. Uh, first of all, let's start with the dom scene. Uh, where she finally has to do the Santiago debrief that she's been putting off uh, on pain of severe, very deeply painful death for her mother. Uh, so she goes and she does this interview. And I don't know what your experience of it was, but really uh, tip of the cap to the whole team uh, from the performance to the way it's shot to the way it's written for really making me think that like we're, we're actually watching like Dom struggle with the idea of like, is she going to confess to the dark army of it all? And I'm not saying that She's not struggling in this interaction with this man uh, who is interrogating her, who's about to die himself. Um, She's definitely struggling. But what she's struggling with here is like the lie that she has to tell uh, contrasted against the reality that and and the truth that she knows uh, internally um, that she's not going to say Santiago is working for a dark army, that he's working for a drug cartel instead. Um, but I definitely felt like she was uh, going to come out with like, yeah, me I'm too. dark army. And then the guy's like, yeah, you failed the test. I'm dark army too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I thought that was going to end very poorly for her and not just for him. Uh, but that, so that was a good misdirect for sure. And I really like, uh, honestly in my rewatch, 
Um, I, I remember we came to, I came to specifically really like, uh, Grace Gummer and her portrayal of DDP, but it, it really rubbed me the wrong way, uh, in the early days when the world was collapsing around her. She's like, gee, how about a turkey sandwich for old time's sake? And it's like, there was no real emotional, I felt, impact on her of society collapsing around her. The emotional impact of what's going on with her, even though this was a little bit of play acting, as you're saying, she was channeling the very real emotions that she's feeling. The performance is fantastic, and I really love uh, where this character is at, even though I feel terribly for her. Uh, it's just great to see that she is so different than the, you know, I got you attaboy kind of way that she was when we brought her in at first in season two. Uh, she is broken, uh, and the brokenness comes out. She does not have to work very hard to act, as you're saying here. Not as Grace Gummer as DDP. I'm sure that was a very difficult performance, but DDP herself putting on this lie about the drug cartel, uh, this was pretty method because she was tapping into her very real emotions about everything she's dealing with for sure uh and th- so we get to see uh the the, the progress report gets filed uh, and it gets filed to janice who yeah she's a taxidermist uh <laughs> she, I think her business is called the happy death or something like yeah, that yeah uh la mort haru which i am sure oh, i am mispronouncing uh which translates <laughs> to haru. uh which translates to a happy death which is the name of a novel by albert camus camus yep. Uh, which I'm also probably uh, botching, uh, which is uh, about uh, it's a it's an existential book about the will to happiness, the creation of one's happiness and the need of time and money in order to accomplish that mission. Uh Feels like that is on brand for what we are dealing with here in the final season. Definitely. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, this death is all around us. Uh, and the, the way that we're processing this through the taxidermist is maybe making these monuments and keeping people with you throughout. Uh, but in reality, she's not just a taxidermist. She's so evil. DDP tells her like she's 99.9% sure or whatever that the guy bought the story. And we see Janice write the name down and that writing the name down not good not good because agent horton dies uh yeah and also uh the dog that uh uh is uh already dead is going to be alive forever uh that gets plopped onto janice's uh desk i just don't feel like that should go unacknowledged uh as as we move away from the taxidermy scene because that was the real big janice reveal of the episode i'm like why didn't i do that with pardo Oh no! You too definitely dark. should not have too done dark. Too, too dark. dark. Too, too dark. dark. Too dark. Too dark. Too I dark. Sh- army. I just miss him. He could have been with me forever. Yeah, uh, that's true. He will be with you forever in your heart uh, and through all of ours as well. So uh, don't worry. Do but not worry. Santiago is dead. The investigator who is investigating the situation is dead. Indeed, Pardo is no longer with us. Uh, but we also meet a character here who uh, I don't know if it's a throwaway if this is just a scene that's there to like kind of like heighten what's going on internally with Dom, where she's interrogating this guy who apparently helps people disappear and go on to live their very happy lives. Is this Dom like, um, you know, is this just a person to have in a scene while Dom gets the text message that the investigator is dead? Or is this somebody who she's going to have use for later the on? Irishman. The Irishman. Is she going to have use for the Irishman uh, his services to get herself or at least her mother out of Dodge uh, by the end of the season. If she's already, um, you know, going it's off kind of sells vacuum cleaners, I heard. Oh, R.I.P. Robert Forrester. Uh, you know, if, if, if it's something like that, though, is that something that she is going to to have use for 
um, later on down the line is something that I was wondering from that scene. Did you have? I think that's a good, good question Uh, because he claims he's innocent, obviously not innocent. uh, But he he says, you seem like a kind woman. Like, you know, he's, he seems like he's nice enough to her uh, and there may be a little bit of a connection there. So she is distant here, but the possibility that she now knows a guy who can disappear people and not in the, um, you know, take their bodies and make them disappear, but actually help them disappear into the ether. uh, I don't know that you can disappear from dark art me though like that is the debate that elliot has with darlene in this episode you know you if i don't work on this white rose finds me anyway so i I just feel like if darlene actively tries to disappear it's not going to go well like this is not going to end well for her uh if ddp tries to do it either so i I just think it's whether or not that's possible i don't think it's achievable and i think that the reality of that is pretty stark to her when she gets the text message uh and she says like 99 the text is basically like sorry to hear about your co-worker and then she gets the news and then the text says uh, like you know like uh, 99 isn't isn't good enough let's strive to keep it 100 and there's emoji use uh, in the context of like a threat yeah. it's ridiculous like yeah. janice is a menace yeah she is a menace uh she's just ridiculous i think it also uh worth noting on dom's desk i don't know if this is new or if this was how it always was with her um, but it says on her desk, assistant special agent in charge. Was she always, uh, was that always her rank or is that new post Santiago? Santiago I think that's yeah, a, a good question. I don't know that. I think she might've always been, uh, the, when Santiago is pleading for her life at the end of the third season, he basically says she has the possibility to be one of the youngest people, uh, in the role that she's in. So she is, uh, not the youngest executive, uh, but she's, she's certainly rising up the ladder at the FBI. And it makes sense that she would be rising uh, into Santiago's shoes. Uh, and that's what the dark army wants. Uh, and I don't think she's their only person on the inside, right? That's the other concern that any of this has when you talked about, you know, whether agent Horton was going to say you failed the test. It wasn't just Matt Damon. Was it? You thought, you thought that Costello didn't have anyone else on the inside. It's just you and me now. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I don't want any of them to be departed. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to not, we're going to hopefully, hopefully she plays it on the level, uh, and doesn't step out of line here because as we, as we see, their reach is pretty significant, uh, and their reach is pretty immediate. So the downside of all that is when you talk about the team ups and we talk about Price and Elliot and you talk about Darlene and Elliot and all the team ups that are happening, we got to get DDP on this team. Like she has as much of an axe to grind with the Dark Army and White Roses. Oh, quite else. literally. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and then, RP Omar. And then one, one more scene that I want to talk about. We've talked to death, obviously, the ending of the episode. But is there anything from... Uh, we always love seeing Philip Price and White Rose in the same room, and we get to see them here. And White Rose, uh, she who is so fierce about uh, her time and and how how efficient she must be and what is worth her time and what is not. It would appear that White Rose, huge Christmas fan, uh, because <laughs> doing that Christmas tree, uh, you can't trust anyone with that job. You got to do that one yourself. And you also have to destroy the freaking thing. Uh, so all of that time wasted decorating the tree. Uh, is that uh, a character lapse for you? Or does it signify how off kilter on edge she is and the kind of win that Price may have just scored? 
uh, price comes into the scene and says you're a little out of balance or whatever, right? right like right. so, the observation is there from the jump. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, the rage of White Rose. We know White Rose probably has weaknesses just like anyone else. We know Zhang does, and one of her weaknesses, as her assistants have articulated to her, is that she is continually willing to work with Mister Alderson or trust Mister Alderson or let Elliot play a role in this story. Uh, letting Angela live maybe as long as she did was a mistake as well, a mistake which she corrected. Uh, but here it definitely seems like price is able to get her goat and price walking away recognizes like don't be upset you won like you, you know you won this uh, but we can we can tell that this is something that has has definitely gotten to uh, gotten to white rose it's one of those difficult positions right when Angela was alive there was that leverage that white rose had over Philip price by taking Angela off the board all white rose can do to Philip price ultimately is kill Philip price and if white rose kills Philip price they're gonna to have to have the meeting anyway they're gonna to have to do all this anyway so at this point philip price does have a little bit of leverage and is is playing his cards uh, i like that he says to elliot later on the phone like i made my move uh, he sees it as the context of a move uh, kendall roy would be proud because he's making moves uh what's your next move like he's always uh, obsessed he with that moves. so big moves, loves moves big moves guy so this is a uh, you know this is these are big moves by philip price and these are his end game moves and of course i think they're live to spark uh, some anger within White Rose, uh, within Minister Zhang. And we get a great shot of the Christmas tree being toppled over uh, that we had seen, I think, in some of the trailers leading up to the season. So it was really cool to see how that played out. I was wondering, where do you think the scene occurred? Um, we know that White Rose lives on some private island off the coast, uh, and it's really weird uh, and like a Bond villain style a compound or something there. But this looked like the inner chambers of some uh, New York City penthouse. That or was my feeling. Yeah, and yeah. it would make sense to me that White Rose is close by right now. Uh, you know, everything's moving forward with the Washington Township stuff, and it seems like it's going to happen fairly soon. Uh, so she would want to be on hand for it. Um, and it would certainly make sense with we know that this is going to be a pretty tight timeline for the final season anyway. So to get uh, price from, uh, you know, from too far away from the husk of all safe to, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean doesn't make a lot of sense, especially wearing the coat he's wearing as he walks into the room. Uh, so I, I think... I Michael think, Christopher was born, or Christopher was born wearing that coat. Yeah, that may be true. Uh, <laughs> with a beard, like with a white beard and wearing that like Macintosh or whatever kind of coat that is. He came out fully formed. Uh, I, I feel like... Uh, I'm here. Hello, mother. <laughs> Hello, mom. Dad, dad. dad. Uh, I feel like uh, there's there's uh, there's a lot of reason to think uh, it would make sense for for White Rose to to be here. Um, what is going to come of the gathering of the Deus group aside from the fact that obviously that's going to be a lights out episode of Mister Robot. Good question. <laughs> it is, uh, it does seem like it's going to be a shootout at the OK Corral type scenario. Um, if you want to really get at the heart of something, uh, this is how you do it. First, we have to get to Cyprus National Bank. Th- these two lines are not clearly drawn, right? Like Elliot's got this goal of getting to Cyprus National Bank and getting at the heart, but he's also got this goal of bringing them all together. Getting uh, them and- all together. It seems like based on what he's saying is like, I need, I need their bank accounts. I need their phones. 
uh, and Price is like, we need, you know, you think that the, the, the prince of Saudi Arabia has the same phone for five days. Yeah. Uh, and so like, if everybody's in the same room and if Elliot can be relatively local, can Elliot get around that two factor authentication and do yeah. everything that needs to be done, but needs everybody to be in the same place in order to accomplish it? That seems like what it is, but I, I feel like there's less drama in that than there would be a great confrontation within the course of that room. But of course, the hacks on this uh, show are always presented so dramatically uh, that I, you could see some form of that, like a caper almost. Uh, Philip Price calls it a caper in many respects. Uh, so that may be more the kind of caper yeah. style. Yeah, and I mean, like, cue the meme, why not both? You know, why, right. can't, why can't you have... No los dos? You know, why can't you have two <laughs> things at once? Like, I think right. that those two things could be playing out some sort of 12 angle angry man uh, uh, contrast to maybe there's 12 angry uh, sides of Elliot's personality. Uh, oh gosh, but you, no. could, you could have that out simultaneously as Elliot is doing his Elliot thing. Yeah. That, so I'm looking forward to that scene regardless. It does seem like that's happening, a big showdown. Uh, and it does seem like that that meeting is going to happen within the course of the next eight days, maybe on Christmas itself. That would be dope as hell. So TBD, looking forward to that episode for sure. Uh, and however that plays out by then, I hope that a DDP, uh, TBDDP is on, on board with this. And I hope that she plays a role in that as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes together as we talked about. Uh, but definitely that meeting is, is going to be a highlight of the season, I would imagine, and should be great. Uh, should be great TV no matter how it's constructed. All right. Unless you've got anything else specifically from the episode, I'd love to get into some feedback uh, that we received over the week following uh, our premiere podcast. Just a couple quick hits. Yep. Uh, cremation, cardboard coffin, cheapest urn. Very funny. Uh, also really, <laughs> yeah. really funny when Mr. Robot talks about, he talks to Elliot at the funeral home and says, I'm kind of an expert at observing you. And he's worried about Elliot and it doesn't go well. And Robot says to us, I agree. That could have gone better. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. <laughs> See, he's not great at communicating with us. It's why, well, it's why there would be yeah. all sorts of uh, disarray between all three of us. Yeah, it's really, really funny. Uh, I laughed really hard. Uh, I think that Janice was, I think she was listening to Dan Carlin's hardcore history. I'm not sure. I have to give that a second listen. It sounded to me like an episode I had heard in the past uh, about, you know, religious fervor and madness and compared you love that podcast. to the Manson. Yeah. Well, it, it is part of what brought Gavrilo Princip, I think, into season two. So I think someone in that writer's room is a fan. Uh, and I think that that was what she was listening to. I could be wrong, though. Um, Darlene hacks signal uh, to make sure Elliot has her GPS location in using the app. That's definitely Chekhov's uh, GPS signal hack, I believe. That's going to come back up later. I would, I would definitely assume uh, the fact that it was mentioned on the show that now Elliot can use an app to track Darlene's whereabouts and vice versa. Yep. Going to come in handy for sure. Yep. Um, so that's that's really all I wanted to hit from the course of the episode. Unless I think of anything else, uh, we can get into a couple feedback hits for sure. All right, awesome. And so the way that this is working is we are taking your feedback from the week before. So if you've got feedback about 402, we're going to read it in our 403 podcast. So make sure that you send that feedback in mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. You can tweet at us. I'm at Rand Howard. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. How many diseases in the ours? Two diseases and one R. Two diseases and one R. Uh, also tweet at postshowrecaps and hashtag PS Recaps to get in your feedback. And so here is a, a smattering of feedback that we received in the last week. Uh, one is from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, who begins with just a, a four letter F word, F dash dash, except he didn't say F dash dash uh, to quote another Christmas. Uh, it was not O fudge. Uh, and it was all about the five minutes of the premiere. Uh, that was uh, when it was tweeted. And 
I believe that that was a sentiment that was reflected by many people in the audience. Uh, Edmo wrote in and said, Sam Esmail has a lot of nerve asking if we're okay on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> which uh, I agree. Dave Baker had written in, which is more shocking, Shayla or Angela? Uh, both are very shocking. Dave, I gotta say, killing off the, like the, one of the leading characters of the entire series, uh, five minutes in to the final season. Pretty shocking. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too much. Uh, so I think Angela ultimately is going to win there. Edmo had also asked, uh, Edmo wrote in and said, I was wondering what you believe the timeline is as far as the Elliot Darlene Dom bar scene, barn scene from the end of season three and the Angela and Philip Price scene, uh, which was from season three and obviously bleeds into, sorry, uh, the season four premiere. Um, since White Rose had a hand in both and they were originally shown to us simultaneously. Um, Antonio, I would say they probably happened at the same, roughly around the same time. Yeah, usanetwork.com slash mrrobot slash explained has a really good timeline of the events leading up to season four, day by day. And on in the case of the Angela uh, being revealed to be killed uh, that moment, well, that's not revealed in the timeline since it was before the season, but Price's Angela's dad is 10-23-15. White Rose chooses Elliot, also 10-23-15. Dom becomes a dark army operative, 10-23-15. Elliot turns the tables, 10-23. 315. So all of those scenes are happening essentially on the same day. Maybe not exactly at the same time as they're presented intercut, but very close in time for sure. Uh, White Rose is cleaning off the board a little bit in on, on the October the 23rd, uh, 2015. And you can imagine a scenario where White Rose in one frame of mind says to Grant, basically like, I'll see you later. We talked a little bit about this last episode, but White Rose in one moment is saying to her beloved, her assistant like you know we'll, we'll catch up later when when this all works and let's grant and take himself off the board take him you know take his own life uh, losing angela in that respect is not going to be that big of a deal to that person who's willing to let her own beloved go and maybe she doesn't see this action as the same way we see it so that is uh, who white rose is and those things happening at the same time i think definitely has uh, some narrative value uh, but the timeline is pretty clear from usa yeah uh, Zach Brooks had written in and says, uh, when it went to black, uh, Elliot died there. Please know I hate that. Fairly triggered, Zach Brooks, by the idea that Elliot's heroin overdose at the end of the premiere led into uh, us going into some sort of alternate universe where uh, maybe it's like the last few synapses burning out in Elliot's head. Uh, now that we've seen beyond the season four premiere, Antonio, is there any part of you that thinks that he's actually dead and none of this is real or are you willing to to let that go i i never i i am only i only brought it up last episode no no i because, I, yeah. I don't mean to like pin that on you i mean yeah, no, genuinely I'm certainly, willing, I'm certainly willing to let it go yeah me it as well is, it is interesting when we begin this episode, as you point out, with the TV premise, with the sitcom premise. Uh, and we're not the sitcom premise, but the idea on a show that we've we've done that before, where we've started with a weird TV scenario. Um, it does make you wonder. Like it's a little bit disorienting at first. Like where are we? Uh, I I just think the idea that Elliot died there and that was the end of it, uh, at least in the context of this episode, I don't think there's any more fuel to that fire. Uh, Sir Pounce had written in and said, "I'm from New Jersey and." part Italian. It's sauce! 
Thank God. Gravy only goes on disco fries and turkey. So. We're going to have to have a separate convo about what disco fries are, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. We can talk about disco fries later. Corey yeah, Robinson. Well with a disco biscuit, I think. <laughs> Corey Robinson. Well, on the topic, actually, Dave Baker had said, how do you think the macaroni made by Dom's mom would fare on Top Chef? Uh, I would guess not great on Top See, Chef. Tom Colicchio is a macaroni gravy guy, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so you'd have to call it that to win to his favor. Fair enough. All right. Corey Robinson had written in. Uh, and said, in the scene in Elliot's apartment, Darlene appears to be talking to Mr. Robot or someone that she clearly thinks is right in front of her. But the physical, real Elliot is to her left on the couch. When she suggests that she saw Angela, Elliot responds, that's impossible. Her head does an immediate hard left, 90 degree turn towards him in response to his statement. The very next camera angle is from the ceiling of the room, confirming their actual positions in the room. We know that this show often uses camera angles to help tell the story. It also hides the larger points in plain sight, and the reveal is in the details. It seems clear that Darlene definitely thinks she's talking to someone beside Elliot. My question is, do you agree? And if so, who do you think she's seeing? She was talking about seeing Angela someplace else, so it's not Angela. Is Darlene somehow seeing Mr. Robot now too? I would say no. I would say no. Um, And I think certainly this episode helps advance why I would say no, because you would have to say sort of the same thing about Philip Price uh, is talking to Rami Malek at certain points, and then he's talking to Christian Slater at other points. I really think it's just we're seeing that Christian Slater and Rami Malek's interpretations of the two sides of or two of the parts of this whole character um, are more in sync right now than they've ever been. This is the integration. Uh, right. you, you get to see them kind of working in concert with each other. And Esmail is kind of just trusting us with the filmmaking of it's more interesting if you get to see these all of these actors intermingling. It's not that they can see the different personalities specifically. That is, uh, I think, what we're getting now as a result of this. And Philip Price was doing this as well, as I, as we talked about in the scene in this episode where he goes through the Deus group. Um, Elliot and Robot are, are really one in the same. They're not separate as much as they used to be. So it's hard for us to see when one is somewhere and one is somewhere else. Even in that scene uh, that is being referenced here uh, in Corey, Corey pointing out with the head turns and the head nods, um, that's the great moment where at the beginning of the scene when Darlene wants to talk about Angela, Elliot rolls his eyes and pivots away and robot strides forward and Elliot is seen sitting on the couch. But then Elliot later comments on the scene in the proceedings and everything that uh, Darlene is saying, uh, Elliot comments as Elliot from the couch. So it's hard to understand, I think as a viewer, exactly who is where and what way with Elliot and robot in these scenes, we saw the disintegration um, when uh, robot was sitting uh, on a couch with Darlene and Elliot was watching from the other couch in season two uh seeing it in season three now uh in the integration i think we just i don't know that we can say darlene is seeing mr robot i'm not sure we can clearly say which is which who is where and who is doing what and i think the show is having a lot of fun with that um just showing that they really are on the same team such that we can never really tell who is where whether it's robot following uh, freddie lomax on foot around a train station where elliot is sitting in a train uh, or whether he or elliot pivots away from a scene uh, sits on the couch but then robot is talking to darlene directly but then elliot leaps off the couch and shoves darlene against that red dresser uh i, I just i don't think it means that El- that darlene is seeing robot i think it just means there's not really a clear line anymore between the two all right kelsey ann writes and asks i may be forgetting something although i just did a rewatch but did we ever see elliot find out that zhang and white rose are the same person because he seemed to know 
in this episode. I don't remember that either, but I can just assume that if he figured out who Philip Price is in relation to Angela, that figuring out that Minister Zhang and White Rose are the same person is not beyond Elliot's superpower purview. Right. That's kind of what we talked about, right? In this episode, just the fact that he's done all that research means that I think he's done the research to connect these dots as well. Uh, I, I do believe there was some moment of realization uh, earlier on in the series for Elliot. I'm, I'm not I'm not putting it all together, but there was at some point where Elliot realized he's meeting with White Rose and this is the meeting in season one uh, and Ollie is, is hitting him pretty hard and White Rose comes into the room and White Rose says, you'll never meet me again. You'll never see me again. Uh, and Elliot, I think, knows that White Rose has been in control throughout and is making those appeals to White Rose and about the project and all of those things in season three. Uh, Elliot knows a lot about what's going on with White Rose. She doesn't necessarily know what the project is. She know, He knows that she wants to move it greatly. Uh, and he knows details that I think we don't always see that he acquires on screen. So he, he is growing this knowledge base about what's going on. I think it, it, it makes sense that he would know uh, that these two were one and the same. And I know we know Price knows that. So I don't remember there being that clear of a moment, but I do remember that Elliot, uh, that Elliot knows about the project and things like that. So he's, he's drawn a lot of these things together for sure. All right, let's take one last one. It's a big one from Ken from Chicago who wrote in, and I will read Ken's uh, uh, theory in its entirety. Ken writes in and says, I've been listening to these podcasts since the beginning, and I had this prediction for White Rose's overall plan by the end of season three. The season four premiere did not do anything to change my theory. So here goes. White Rose is also Minister Zhang. She's in a powerful position. Very confirmed. Yes. <laughs> She's in a powerful position while keeping up with two separate personalities. Minister Zhang always comes off as calm and collected, while White Rose is much more bipolar. White Rose is sometimes in complete control. Oftentimes, she is destroying furniture while trying to calm down in a hot bath afterwards. Regardless, if, it ver- is, is it, it, if it's very clear which version of White Rose is in control of that body based on the clothing, physically changing the appearance of the character, what if Elliot is the first successful test of White Rose trying to replicate people with multiple personalities, where the goal is to be able to hide the second personality, even from the view of the person themselves? Whenever Elliot blacks out, Mr. Robot has his own agency to do anything he wants, particularly at night when Elliot should be sleeping. The show has not made any effort to say that Elliot is having trouble due to not sleeping Yet it said exactly that during the prison sequence where Elliot tried to kill Mr. Robot by taking a whole bunch of speed. I think it was speed. What if the Mr. What if the Mr. Robot side is a very powerful version of sleepwalking? The entire Dark Army could already be this. They could already be working under White Rose's control without even knowing that they're involved. For some specific people, they can resort to the family threats like DDP is currently experiencing. I think White Rose's version of bringing Angela's mom back would be giving her a separate personality that manifests as her mom, but we don't get to see Angela's imaginary mom. I also think that White Rose can do this mind control technique on many people, but the current technique only works on one person at a time. Knowing White Rose has a patience problem, clearly one person at a time isn't fast enough. A mass takeover of multiple minds would be necessary. White Rose could already have a bunch of people in the Congo that are ready to be tested on. If White Rose can successfully take over minds on a global scale through the creation of split personalities, then the Bond villain-esque plan of world domination would be effectively possible. White Rose could take over the world with only a few people even knowing it happened. There it is. There are parts I haven't thought through, like where Philip Price of E-Corp or E-Corp or Mr. Alderson from years ago, where would they fit into all of this? Perhaps they originally tried... 
this mine take over through the water supply and people rejected it due to the cancer causing properties. We know that White Rose has a history with E Corp that goes longer than Philip Price. So I guess I'm also predicting that Price is much more of a hero than we were ever told. He's been fighting against White Rose's attempt at global takeover since getting the CEO position at E Corp. And not to say that his battle against White Rose wasn't personal before, but the death of Angela would make the fight against White Rose personal. Now, I think we could say uh, that's the end of the feedback. Uh, I think we could say, Antonio, having learned more this week about Philip Price's history and E Corp's history with White Rose, I don't think that there's much uh, much heroism to assign to Philip Price as it as it responds to um, White Rose's project. But we said we should we we haven't really given much thought to like the science fictiony aspects of what White Rose is working on, how that could relate to Elliot how it could relate to what we just found out about Elliot and quote unquote, the other one. Is there anything here from Ken's theory that you want to take, uh, that you want to take apart that you, that you like, that you feel like is at least in play here in the final season? What are your thoughts on everything? You know, I want to talk about a couple things. First, a mass takeover of multiple mines would be necessary. White Rose could already have a bunch of people in the Congo that are ready to be tested on. If White Rose can successfully take over mines on a global scale, that in what Philip Price talked about is sort of implied has already happened, right? Through our acquiescence and our uh, ability or desire to give our information and to stay connected, uh, to silo ourselves in social media and obtain uh, and provide information to others in that way. White Rose achieved that, right? White Rose, the, the Philip Price says America was White Rose's grand experiment uh, to not control like espionage or to not spy on people through uh, traditional means, but to do it in this way. As far as a mass takeover of mines goes, you don't have to look very far to see how that plays out with regard to this, right? This is happening in 2015. What happens, we know post-2015, uh, governments try to use these social media and manipulate our minds uh, and manipulate what we believe and see. Uh, we know that this happened. We know it's a fact. So as far as White Rose's plan involving that on a non-sci-fi level, uh, mission accomplished and plan clearly in play. So I think that's a really uh, good observation from Ken uh, as to like that ability. Now, the sci-fi elements of it, it's a different thing, right? And as far as that goes, I think in this particular episode, the things I would flag that I, I think people who want to subscribe to this sort of theory uh, might be interested in are what Magda's role in this might have been. Why is it at the end of this season or se episode, I'm sorry, why is it that Magda is the one that says they're not ready for, you know, they're not ready yet. You're you're not supposed to be in that chair. She has some seeming role with young Elliot. We have theorized a little bit on this podcast and talked about other people's theories in the past as to whether Elliot was created, right? Was there some element of what was happening at Washington Township? Was he part of the first series of experiments? Uh, is that why, quote unquote, Mr. Alderson is so key to what White Rose is doing? Is that why White Rose won't let him go? White Rose says something similar to Angela in your favorite scene, Josh, in the, after the land of she basically says, like, have you ever wondered why you and Mr. Alderson have the unique role in this that you have? Uh, so there has always been speculation that maybe Elliot uh, was part of this experiment, uh, that Elliot was part of this. And I'm not discrediting Ken at all. I'm saying Ken's theory uh, exists in a world where I think the show has provided at least some grist for that if you're interested in chewing on it. Uh, the question is whether this episode or whether the episodes to come are going to make us want to spit that 
out or swallow. Uh, man, I've really mixed my metaphors here. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, I do think the Magda stuff in this episode does give you a little bit more to chew on in that regard. Uh, wondering why it's her that shows up. Wondering why we see her in that room, the E-Corp room that we saw, knowing that E-Corp is a front for the Deus group, and knowing that's the room where Elliot met Tyrell at the end of the, at the beginning of, at the end of the, the pilot, and at the beginning of the second episode, uh, the shots are framed very similarly. In the episode uh, in season one, Elliot is standing where Magda is standing uh, in, in this episode. Uh, Elliot, if that's young Elliot, I think we have, we think that it is, sitting at that table is sitting at the Tyrell seat. Uh, and so there are a lot of those connections there. Uh, and if you want to believe that Magda maybe had some role in this uh, and that her abuse was part of it, that she knew what was going on with Mr. Alderson, that side A of that tape contained some Manchurian-like programming, that there's a reason why she kept that particular cassette and it isn't just sentimental, that maybe that was tied into the, uh, the safe deposit box. One of the things that is said as a passing joke, I think, think by Darlene or a little bit of a dig uh, when she's speculating what might be in the deposit box. She says something like a chalet in France, but then she says adoption papers, your adoption papers. I don't think we're ready to fully uh, let that be something we speculate about whether Elliot was adopted or not. But I'm, I'm saying by means of saying Ken's theory about like what White Rose is trying to do or whether that's something that is is there in the context of that show uh, or the show. I think after this episode, there's still some some kind of of legitimacy to that if we want to speculate on it i think the show is providing us the platform to speculate on i think overall josh and you can chime in on this i think overall we're still at the point we were at the beginning of this season which is that the show can try to go in a sci-fi direction or characters having sci-fi interests can be part of this show and it doesn't have to take a hard turn into sci-fi being part of that reality for it to be successful in that way it can be an, a, a thing where white rose is is interested in some science fiction elements and she's actively trying to bend reality and we don't have to see that she's successful at it to have that be part of the story but if the show does take that turn they've talked about it enough that it is part of the dna of the show and i think that's where ken's theory resides like we've seen enough to say this sort of thing could be possible uh whether or not it's specifically the the way that the show goes i think it's at least there in terms of possibilities to talk about i think it's it's as anything it's going to be in the delivery if it go if it if it goes all the way there and i i think that one of the exciting things about the show at least and like the 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 real time watching of it, something that's not going to exist on future uh, occasions of being able to watch Mr. Robot in the week-to-week existence of not knowing what the ending is yet, is that tension of like, oh shit, is this show really going to go there? <laughs> right? You know, like, and so like, that's exciting and that's fun and it's always, it's always great to engage in. Uh, look, we're, we're within, uh, we're within arm's reach of, of knowing one way or the other. I, I do remain inclined to believe that if it ever goes all the way there, uh, that it would be ambiguous still. Um, but I could be very wrong on that. And I, and I would, also add to that, Antonio, um, that I don't think as much as I say that I'm braced for it, I don't think that I am. <laughs> like I, if that if that's where it goes, I don't know that I'm fully braced for it. Uh, so it'll it'll be fascinating how how we land into some of that stuff. If we if we really do land into that stuff, I think I have said that for me, um, my 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 preference and my feeling is that it would be more about White Rose's belief in such possibilities rather than the possibilities actually being possible. 
And I think, Josh, if the wheel lands on it, we need to watch and podcast about 2001. And we can mm. talk about that last scene yep. uh, because uh, that's where I'm I'm tracking after this boardroom scene here at the last scene of this episode. I am wondering, considering we've got a young Elliot, we've got an older uh, Mr. Robot who is a part of Elliot, uh, if we're going to see uh, some final uh, form or some other form of Elliot represented in, the, in, in some boardroom scene uh, in the final, uh, when Elliot finally ascends to be ready when we're ready to take this on uh, if that's where we're going to end up. So we could have like kind of a weird non-traditional ending scene or some scene near the end of it uh, that could fit into this without being clearly sci-fi. Uh, I think we could get there. Again, sticking the landing is the key and I have no reason to believe this show won't do it. All right. We are going to wrap up here for this week on the Mr. Robot Podcast. We'll be back next week talking 403. We would love your feedback. MRRobot at postshowrecaps.com. Our email address and of course at AC Mazzaro at round howard at post show recaps on twitter uh did i say twitter twitter is definitely what i meant uh twitter twitter uh but we've got a lot going on here on post show recaps uh, a show we already mentioned uh two shows we uh we already mentioned here uh lost and succession uh the lost podcast is continuing apace with mike bloom and myself releasing a new episode of down the hatch our lost rewatch podcast filled with spoilers coming your way on fridays we've got the first ever claire littleton flashback raised by another coming up this week Succession is wrapping up this week, wrapped up on the same night as Mr. Robot 402. It's going to take us a minute to get you that season two finale feedback uh, or, or recap podcast, rather, and we would like your feedback for that. So make sure that you're tweeting at myself and Emily Fox at Emilet on Twitter and at Post Show Recaps on Twitter. If you're a Succession person, we're going to be wrapping that coverage up very soon. And The Walking Dead Season 10 also trekking forward. Sunday nights have been rather busy recently, and they shall, <laughs> they shall continue to be busy. But The Walking Dead podcast, which records on Monday nights, drops on Tuesdays. Jessica Lee and I are covering that show. So make sure you're emailing us, TWD at postshowrecaps.com. And you can subscribe to all of that on the individual feeds or the main feed of Post Show Recaps as well. Antonio and I also mentioned Watchmen. We announced last week that Antonio and I, we are going to be covering Watchmen over at Series Regular on The Hollywood Reporter. It's a totally different podcast than what we're doing here on Post Show Recaps. So you got to go seek that out and subscribe to Series Regular if that is a podcast you're interested in hearing my takes, Antonio's takes on Watchmen. I think you're going to want to hear those takes. So definitely seek it out and subscribe. Antonio, I hear you've been chatting up some Survivor recently. I did. I was invited uh, for a short stay in the RHAP BNB uh, with Mike Bloom and Liana Boris. Always a lot of fun uh, having shenanigans and talking and playing little games uh, with regard to Survivor. I also uh, had a withering takedown, uh, not a withering takedown, but talked a little bit about what your Twitter profile really looks like to Twitter on that. So maybe that'll be a subject that's of interest to Mr. Robot fans, especially after we found out the White Rose is tracking everything we do, Josh. Everything. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I also watched. El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie, and because uh, Rob Sesternino and I podcasted about Breaking Bad, and we podcast about Better Call Saul, and because we we like each other, uh, we are going to podcast about that as well. So be on the lookout for that. Fantastic! All right, so El Camino riding in to your podcast feeds. We shall say no more. We will spare you the spoilers. Uh, but that podcast coming your way shortly. Subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a thing. We'll be back next week talking about. 403 of Mr. Robot. Until then, goodbye, friends. Hey.